welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on current NHL player Connor Carrick onto the podcast. Connor grew up in the great city of Chicago where he played his youth hockey. After that, he spent time playing the U.S. National Program and uh, was actually committed to the University of Michigan but decided to forego to play in the OHL for the Plymouth Whalers. Uh, after Plymouth, he's gone on to play the last six years professionally. Uh, he's played with the Washington Capitals, the Dallas Stars, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and now the New Jersey Devils. And he's established himself as a one-way NHL player. Uh, great guy. Great talk that we had with him. But before we do get to Connor, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's shaking today? What's up, Tosky? Just murdered some ghost BCAAs that were absolutely delicious. And uh, I just woke up from a nap. I won't lie to you. <laughs> Can you explain to our listeners what ghost, what is it, BCAAs you said? <laughs> <laughs> I totally butchered that. Uh, you hate working out. Branch chain amino acids. Uh, one of the companies that I have a deal with is called Ghost. And what's cool about them is A, the CEO loves hockey. He's out of Chicago. Um, and then B, they have partnered with like all different candy companies to make these really cool flavors out of their supplements. This is not an ad by any means. I was just drinking it. Um, <laughs> but I have, I have a code for my, my clients that, you know, if they want to buy ghost supplements, they can for 20% off. I might as well just tell all our listeners and I'll just tell Dan that they're all my clients too. If anyone wants to try ghost supplements, you go to ghostlifestyle.com. And if you, if you buy stuff, use the code capital R I P T all capitals, you get 20% off. Yeah. I'll just tell him you're my clients too. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that was our first ad read and it wasn't even an ad. We're not getting paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dan, if you want to throw that us some so money for that. <laughs> Dan, you want to throw us some money for that? Uh, you know, I take uh, cash or cash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it. Well, before we get to Connor and uh, I know we have some stuff to talk about there, but um, we got a hockey conference that we're doing with the hockey think tank, man. How excited yeah. are you? Oh man, trick, trick. I'm super excited. I was so excited when you sent me the flyer last night and said that we could start buzzing that out on our social medias and telling people that we know uh, immediately. Like I put that out on Twitter and Instagram this morning and I, you know, it's not like I got a ton of followers or anything, but immediately I had 10 to 20 people message me and be like, yes, I'm so excited. I'm definitely going. Um, so it really cool. And uh, you know, like you've built this very cool, thing that you do and we do and together and it's it's very exciting and uh you know i'm thankful that you you're doing it and i think a lot of people are going to get a ton out of it like it's super exciting yeah i'm pumped i'm pumped and you know basically the the mantra and the mission of what we're doing here with the hockey think tank is just bringing passionate good hockey people together and when you get people together that uh you know want to get better and you bring people together that that are passionate about the game and we all end up learning something and uh i'm really excited to learn from the people that are coming and and the other thing is i feel like with the conference it's not your typical conference that i want to do i've been to so many of these hockey conferences where you get 
coaches up there that do a PowerPoint presentation with video about rush offense and, you know, all this different kind of stuff. Like that's not what this conference is about. We're getting to the meat of what hockey development is. And we wanted to bring in people at just with so many different perspectives to come in and talk about hockey development. You know, we have NHL players coming in, you know, we have uh, a USHL GM and Ryan Hardy who's one of the most downloaded people that we've had on the podcast coming in and what he's done with Chicago this year is unbelievable. We have NHL strength trainers like yourself and Paul Goodman, who does it with the Blackhawks. We have NHL uh, hockey development coaches, Anders Sorensen and Brian Kane with Prodigy Hockey. Um, Josh Pauls, who's a motivational speaker and the captain of the U.S gold medal winning Olympic sled hockey team is coming in and he is unbelievable. So we have all these different people with all these different backgrounds uh, that are going to come in and talk about hockey development. And I really, really hope that people, and I know that people are going to get a lot out of it. And uh, so there's going to be, you know, audience Q and A's we're going to break up into small groups. We get a chance to actually speak and ask questions in more of an intimate setting to the speakers that are going to be there. And, uh, I'm super, super excited for it. And, uh, I, I just, I can't wait. Yeah. You can hardly tell. <laughs> no, man, it's, it's very cool. And I'll tell you what, like, I'm so glad it's not going to be one of those normal, like you sit there, you're nodding your head, falling asleep, looking at the PowerPoint screen, and I'll tell you what, right now, anyone who comes to see me speak, there will not be a PowerPoint because I don't know how to create those. <laughs> I don't know how to point the power in the right way. Uh, yeah, I will point the power in the room to each other. Um, that is a hilarious joke. However, I know that I have strengths and weaknesses. And one of my big weaknesses, never learned, don't use them, no idea how to do things like that. So I'll be... <laughs> I'll have a speech, obviously, and it will be prepared, and hopefully it'll be really good, but there will not be any boring, look at this slide, look at this slide, proceed with the Borafil. No, that's not (laughs) going to be me. I'll tell you that right now. Harry, can I ask you a question? Yes, you can. Will you be wearing a shirt when you present? Honestly, if I get enough applause, I'll tear my shirt off at the end. <laughs> so it, it depends on how you do. I'm going to have an applause meter up there <laughs> and I'm going to bring it up or down. And if it goes up, then bam, ripping the shirt. It's probably going to be Lulu. It cost me 80 bucks, but whatever. It'll be worth it for the story. <laughs> we'll make sure you can, we can put it on Instagram for you and it'll be all worth it, right? There we go. There we go. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited. The reception that we've gotten even in the day. So the day that we're recording this right now is actually the day that we sent it out there to, uh, to the world. Um, again, I've gotten the, the coolest thing too, is I've gotten a ton of texts from people that want to get involved and like help and volunteer and help plan and stuff. And that, that to me was really, really cool because, um, I feel like people really believe in what we're doing. Um, and we're speaking truth to hockey development. We're speaking truth to, um, you know, ways of getting better and bettering yourself on and off the ice. And, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of, a lot of great speakers there that are going to talk about a lot of great things that with, with substance too, you know, substance stuff that people can actually take something out of the conference and go use it in their lives. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the big takeaway that you want to have. It's something like this. Like you want to see people bringing in their computer or their notebooks and taking down notes that then they can go use and will actually like put into action like that day, that night, the next day. You know, I've only been to, you know, a couple conferences and sometimes it's like, oh my God, I know all this. Like I could have read all of this in a book. Like all of this is in the book. Like, where are you going to teach me like what you personally do with your team so that I'm learning something from a high level 
you know, thinker or a high level person working whatever field of the conference I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm really excited and I, I'm excited. That's going to be something totally different than, than the usual, the huge, <laughs> the huge. And we do have to say a thank you to gel sticks too. Um, so gel sticks came on board uh, without even hesitation. When I first talked to them to be the presenting sponsor for this. And uh, I know you do a lot of work with them. I got the chance to meet, uh, you know, Jason silver who runs the company, um, and a couple other guys, uh, down in Florida when we were there and you guys had your booth set up and, you know, just kind of like very similar values between the two companies. And, you know, I believe in what they're doing. You obviously do too. Um, and they believe in what we're doing. So it was a great partnership, um, to be able to get them to come and sponsor the event and, uh, looking forward to, you know, them being able to show people their sticks. Cause what it's within how many, NCAA teams and, and a ton of NHL guys are using them too. Cam Atkinson just signed on as a, you know, as a huge, uh, um, he bought into the company, man. Bought He's into a, the company. Yeah. yeah so, like it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's massive. It's massive. I think it's over 20 NHL teams have at least somebody on the team. And then there's like eight where it's the whole team or something. I, I'm not sure the exact numbers we've got over 30 D one teams and literally every week, someone else is signing on. Um, you know, I, I got a hold of, of Jason and Josh and now Lounsey is one of the, one of the guys big up in the company early on. And I saw it and I was like, I used it and I was like, I love this product. I don't care how you guys want to use me. I want to be a part of this because I believe in it. I use it in my gym with my guys from pros down to the youngest guys I have, which are 13 year olds. It's just a phenomenal product that has so many different applications that will make you a better hockey player. And again, gel sticks is not paying us to say any of this. I just <laughs> love the company. I love the, the guys. The founders are unbelievable guys. They came out to St. Louis. We, I, we took a bunch of meetings out here. They flown me to Florida. You know, I got to see you out there and it's, it's a great tool. And if, if anyone hasn't heard us talk about it, go to gelsticks.com, G E L S T X.com. Again, they're not paying for us to say this. I don't get paid for any sponsorships. Neither does Tolf. We just like to talk about what we believe in. And this is a product I do believe in. So if you decide you want to buy one, I do have a code again. This is hilarious, but I'm going to say it again. My code for on gel6.com is just VEX, V-E-C-H-S, and you get a discount. So if you want to check it out, go ahead. If not, we're, I'm sure Jason and Josh and Lounsey will be bringing them to, uh, to the conference for people to check out. So very excited for that and very cool to kind of get both of my different worlds here uh, working together and uniting as one. <laughs> That's what you're all about. Yep. The oneness that we are. <laughs> people helping people, people helping people. <laughs> <I like that>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, with the conference too, uh, it's a beautiful little segue because Connor Carrick is actually going to be at the conference on an NHL player panel. Uh, him and Ryan Hartman are two NHL players that have signed on to come already. And uh, we're going to get a few more to come as well. Um, but Connor's got a great story. I mean, he's a guy that's had to persevere through some tough stuff throughout his hockey career. Um, and, uh, just, we got into a lot of like meat type stuff, you know, really good window dressing into the professional hockey culture and the goods and the highs, but also the lows too, and how to get out of some struggling times. And he was very open and very candid about a lot of things, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, so what did you think of the conversation? I mean, first of all, super intelligent guy, uh, very yeah. well, spo very well spoken. Um, 
said some some really important things, and I I think the coolest takeaway I had as now a coach transitioning from player and now I'm a coach is that he's you know he, he alluded to the fact of you know like there's times where I mess up, there's times where I make mistakes, and the coach is going to be upset with me or mad at me or disappointed in me, whatever. What I want to know is where's my roadmap back to success? Where is my keys to success to get back in your good graces to get back? playing on the right track, playing my own game so that I'm successful and I'm helping the team be successful. And it's like, we always talk about these things on this podcast where somebody will say the littlest thing. And it's like, Oh my God, if you just focus on that little thing, it is a huge thing. And it seems like such a little detail, but for a coach to tell a guy, you, you know, like any player knows, Oh, I'm in the doghouse, man. Oh, I turned that over the blue line twice in one game and they already scored on one. I'm getting benched. Am I going to get healthy scratch next game? You know, like whatever, obviously in that situation, you know what the problem is, but like some players are just like, God, I don't think the coach likes me. It's so valuable. If you're a coach to proactively go to the player and be like, look, you're kind of in the doghouse right now. Still love you. Still took care of my team still pay you if you're a pro, whatever. Here's what I need out of you so that you're successful, which then in turn makes the team successful. Here is your roadmap back into my good graces, back into being successful. This is what you need to be doing every day. This is what I need you to focus on. And it's so simple, but how many times in our career was a coach mad at us and you're just in your head, second guessing yourself or like, Oh my God, like, should I be doing this? I'm just going to dump it. You know, like <laughs> that, that just seems like such a simple little thing that he said, but it has such a profound effect if every coach was always doing that. And we're all about the, the player coach relationship and the coach to coach and the player to player. And how can we make those better and more efficient and more effective and make your team better from them? So I thought that was like such a little detail that he talked about that was very cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think it goes both ways. You know, the coach athlete relationship is a funny one because it does, it has to go both ways. And for all the kids that are listening, you have to be coachable. You have to want to be coached to get better. And that's something that's clear. Um, and, and you played at the highest level, um, you know, for a certain, for a short amount of time anyway, Almost. but like <laughs> those, you know, like those guys want to be coached a majority of them. I shouldn't say every single one of them, but they got to that level because they want to get better and and they got better. Um, so for the kids, like when you're being coached, that's a good thing uh, on the opposite side of things. I think, especially at the youth levels, I think what coaches have to understand is that um, you have to coach the individual and not just the team. And that can get lost in, especially it can get lost at every level, but in youth hockey, when you're a coach and you're coming from your nine to five job to practice and you know, you, you're drawing up your drills and everything like that. It's kind of easy to just blow a whistle and focus on systems or focus on certain things, but it's so important to um, provide feedback to the players all the time. That's what the best players want. They want honest feedback. That's like the greatest thing you can ever give to a player at any level, but especially at the higher level is just honest feedback and they may not like it, but if you explain the why and you're honest and you're consistent, that's what great coaches do. And I think it just helps the players to get that much better. And, and Connor's conversation certainly alluded to that. Well, it kind of makes me think about, you know, when we were younger, coaches talked at players, not really to players. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, every coach I feel like almost now says, I have an open door policy. I have an open door policy. But it's still like, you learn throughout the season, mm, is it really open? Like, or 
you're not making the environment comfortable enough for me to be confident enough to walk in and being like, Hey, open door. Let's, let's wrap it out. Let's talk. Let's talk about what's going on. And whether the coach knows it or not, even if he means, okay, I do want you to come in and talk to me just the way some of their actions are, how they handle themselves or, or interact with the guys in some situations. It's, it's not, clear that that open door policy is a real thing. Guys are still afraid. That does not mean you need to coddle your team. That does not mean you need to baby them. Everyone doesn't need to get a trophy. I don't believe in that bullshit, (laughs) but I hate that stuff, but you do need to find, I mean, I believe that coaching is 90% psychology, 10% strategies and stuff. I don't know, something like that. Like you got to be able to get the most out of each player. <laughs> 90 plus 10, that equals a hundred. Yeah. Okay. Football check my math. is 80% metal <laughs> and 40% physical. <laughs> ah, okay. All right. This is Little the giants. annexation of Puerto Rico. <laughs> um, uh, it's so funny but, that you say that because like I always, as a coach, um, gave the benefit of the doubt to a player who would come in and talk to me. Yes. Because you know that that kid wants to get better. Right. So let's say I'm making a decision on a lineup change, like yes or no. And I had a vote. Um, I was an assistant coach. So ultimately it was the head coach's decision, but you obviously give your input. If there was a kid that was equal to another kid, but one kid was coming in, you know, and asking questions, what can I do to get better? Let's watch video open, like coming through that open door as hard as it may seem at times. Like that kid was getting the benefit of the doubt 10 times out of 10. Um, so I think that's important for kids to know. I mean, you, again, you should want feedback always. And, and I, I'm not perfect as a coach or a player. As a player, there were times when I felt like I didn't need feedback. And, and now that I think about it, I'm like, what an idiot. Like your coaches are there to coach you and help you get better, you know? And, and sometimes we can be selfish and, you know, maybe not how necessarily good we think we are, but just like, I don't want to take any coaching right now or whatever it is, but like, it's, it's so good for you. And, and I've just, I want to encourage the players to just accept the feedback and, and, and run with it. Well, and just adding even to that is going the extra mile gets you a, as a player, it does get you a little bit of extra wiggle room. Like there is, I love that you said that because I just started immediately thinking in my head to last year, my first year as coaching. And I'd always tell the guys, like, pull me aside, like, talk to me, ask me questions. Like, I'm here to help you. Like, I'm not here to teach you systems. Our head coach did all of like the day-to-day coaching for the team. I'm here to help you individually. And so any guy that would pull me aside or be like, Vex, what do you think about this? Or what did you see here? What do you think for next year? Like when they were, then I immediately know, okay, this guy cares. So then if they make a mistake or something, you know, and it's next to a guy who is leaving early, doesn't come and warm up, whatever. I think, okay, that guy doesn't care as much. So I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt or maybe that extra little oomph or little push up, or if it's between two guys for a line, like you just said, I'm going to give it to that guy who I see is putting out more effort to get better and more effort to care. And I tell the same thing to all my guys right now that are juniors uh, going to junior camps that have already played juniors and going from the NA to the USHL or guys who are just going to juniors. I'm like, what can you do to separate yourself from every other guy there? Show up earlier than everyone, comb your hair, 
wear a polo, like a short sleeve polo with your jeans or your, or your shorts and nice shoes, carry around a big water bottle. So when they see you, they know, Hey, that guy's staying hydrated. He must actually care about this stretch out in the rink where coaches can see you. So they, Hey, this guy's out here warming up, you know, Oh, he must like, he must care whether it helps you or it doesn't, it's definitely not going to hurt you. And it could only, if a coach sees it, obviously <laughs> if it's me, genuine, let me, it's yeah, like, okay, okay that guy cares. That's a big piece of it though. And I will, wow, I will yeah. play a little bit of, not necessarily devil's advocate, but I've been in a rink where there's kids are doing it not to get better, but they're doing it just because they think that that's what the coach wants to see. So oh, make yeah, sure that yeah. it's genuine. Don't yeah. like follow a coach around, like, you know, <laughs> doing high knees or something. If he's walking around the rink, you know, like, walking to his car, you're doing butt kicks yeah, and a dynamic yeah. warm up directly at his car. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Cause, cause there's a, there's, there's a fine line between that because if you're doing it genuinely, I think that's that's more important than doing it at all because well, certainly I don't want to say I've crossed kids off a list, but I've certainly gotten not great feelings by watching people just trying to impress instead of being like, okay, I know why you're doing this. Yeah, it's not it's not for you. This is for me, and it it's not it's just it's not working, pal. So yeah. no, none of my guys are those guys. The, all my guys care, and the guys who are asking and wanting to do more. It's not they're none of. I don't work with people like that. I say you get out of my gym. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. But it, it was interesting to talk to Connor bringing it back because, you know, he does work with Brian Kane in the summer with Prodigy Hockey. And, uh, you know, Brian says, like, he's a very, very big student in the game. Like, he's always trying to find intricate ways to get better. And we talk about some of that stuff on the podcast, some of the things that he focuses on, um, some of the things that he's done with some of his coaches in the past. And uh, I just love players like that. And he was the one, he actually approached us to come on the podcast too. He's like, I want to get better at public speaking. And uh, so would you mind me coming on? I was like, absolutely. And then I talked to Kaner because I know that he worked with them and, and uh, Kaner just sang his praises. So there's a lot of really good stuff in this episode with Connor Carrick. Um, he's a really good player, obviously NHL type player, but um, just extremely, extremely, extremely committed to his craft and getting better too. Yeah, I just I actually just followed him on on the gram on Instagram yesterday. He puts a lot of awesome content on Instagram of like his workouts and what he's doing with his trainer and this and that. So like again, like we're always talking about how can you use, you know, this age of information to get better and like follow a guy like Connor Carrick. Like I loved what he's putting on there and I learned a couple things from stuff he's doing with this trainer. I was like, "Ooh, I really like that." So, and uh Connor, follow me back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, without further ado now, <laughs> uh, let's head it on over to Connor Carrick. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, current NHL player Connor Carrick from the great city of Chicago. Connor, how are you doing today? Good, guys. How are you? Awesome, Whoa. awesome. Yeah, you bet. So I know you're a busy man training for, for next season already, but uh, really appreciate the time uh, for you to come on the podcast. And uh, what we would like to do with our guests at the beginning is, is kind of take it way back. And being a Chicago guy, which I know and respect, I uh, wanted to kind of ask you how you fell in love with the game in Chicago and uh, who were kind of your mentors along the way as you were playing youth hockey. Well, my, my dad, you know, first and foremost, my dad and I have, you know, a really close relationship with the game and he was the one that introduced me to hockey. He just, uh, he grew up in a family, eight kids, you know, walking to, uh, you know, frozen, uh, you know, bodies of water that he could just go out and ski with the neighborhood kids on. 
So we always loved it, you know, uh, growing up. And then we had a rink. We we're really fortunate. Our guys arena was about two minutes away from our house in Orland Park. Ooh. So I, uh, I ended up, you know, starting when I was four or five, and all my early memories were um, me sitting on top of the net with my dad retying my skates because my feet were too wide. <laughs> and so I, so I think I had power at the time, and I had to switch to CCM as a wider skater or whatever, and then I, I really started to fall in love with the game probably – seven, eight, um, you know, around there is when I started to really catch the bug. But at first my feet just hurt. So glad we got through that, but career almost ended over that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, when you were growing up, how good were the Hawks or how bad were the Hawks? They weren't on TV. It's really a shame, you know, the way, uh, the club was run at the time there, you know, they wouldn't televise, I think it was home games, you know, when I was growing up. So don't really, you know, I know the um, a lot of the players just because my my mom's side of the family uh, has worked in vending in all things Chicago sports and concerts uh, since my grandfather was alive. It was my grandfather's company, uh, so my mom would bring home you know like a Jocelyn Tebow uh, shinny stick or whatever, or you know an Eric Daze T-shirt. But other than that, yeah, the Hawks it, it was a it was kind of a you know the dark ages of hockey in Chicago. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I, uh, same way. Like I grew up in Chicago and grew up a Red Wings fan because they were just so bad. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, a, I was, a, I was a Colorado fan cause you know, they are seven years old, 2001, you know, I'm a 94 born, uh, birth year, you know? So I, I just, all the only hockey I got was on, you know, uh, when the playoffs would come on. So, you know, those series between Colorado and Detroit where I was, I was just on the other side of you. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, well, that's, that's great. And, you know, you grew up playing in Chicago. Um, and, and wanted to ask you, cause you played your junior hockey with the U S national team program. And, uh, it was pretty well established at that time when Jeff and I were growing up, it was pretty new, but, uh, wanted to ask you what your time was like there and, uh, you know, how you felt it, it helped you grow into the player you are today. Well, I, I was one of the, more highly touted um, players kind of, um, but we had a stacked, I'm a right shot D man. We had a stacked right side. So our, our D core consisted of, it was uh, Seth Jones, Jacob Truba, myself. And then we had on the left side, it was Brady Shea, uh, Pat Seeloff who was a second round pick. Uh, and Matt Grizzlick who's playing for Boston <laughs> right now. In the, in the I remember bar. watching so you guys. We that were, is a stacked team. <laughs> oh, we were loaded. We were, we were loaded on the back end. And, um, you know, so definitely learned to, you know, I, I play big boy hockey. There's a huge jump from youth to um, junior. Just the uh, the systems, uh, the level of compete, playing against, you know, when you're uh, 16 years old, there's a huge difference strength-wise between, you know, a savvy 20-year-old in the USHL, um, which was the league we were playing in. You know, the 93 group had kind of gotten uh, smacked around the year prior. We did. Uh, a lot better. I, I think we were a better team, but um, learned definitely to compete. It was very, very competitive for ice time. Um, the national team development program provides all the resources. If, if you're a hard worker, it's, it's a, you know, you can be a kid in a candy store there. Um, you know, you can, you can work yourself uh, to no end. And then um, my biggest takeaway is probably the relationships. It's just a blast going through, you know, everyone's the same age, um, and you're all going to the same school. At least we did. We were going to Pioneer High School at the time, 
you know, so if something happened in class, you probably had two or three guys in your class to, to laugh along with you or whatever. <laughs> um, so that was a blast. You know, we were tearing up the school and that, and, uh, you know, it was fun. But in general, for my development, it was probably not ideal. Um, you know, I just don't think there were enough pucks on the ice, enough minutes in the game for all the talent that we had. And, uh, you know, there was, there was some, some interesting days there. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it was a pretty, you know, 16, 17 is a pretty crucial part of, of development for, for a young player. Yeah, you bet. Well, let's, let's dive into that a little bit because, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of kids that are listening to the podcast that can relate to mm-hmm. some of the struggles that you might've went through. And, you know, you, you've carved out an, an unbelievable career playing in the NHL right now. And, and, uh, uh, things have gone really well for you, but it didn't come without some valleys with the peaks. So I'm sure that, uh, that time that you had in, in Ann Arbor, there was one of the valleys in terms of maybe you had to struggle with a little bit of confidence, um, um, you know, and stuff like that. So how did that tough time actually help you with where you are today? Well, I think you, you there, there's very, very few players that are able to get out of, you know, let's call it the, you know, like the meatloaf of, of pro hockey, you know, where you go through the minors, you enter in the bottom half of a lineup and you try and, you try and grow from there. You know, um, it takes generally a special talent to sort of, uh, step right in, present yourself. Uh, this is my game, you know, flaws and all, and the coach is going to play me a bunch um, just because you're that good. Uh, I would say the best thing that I took from it was it was kind of the beginning of the of my learning process to, that that was what I loved really more than anything. I just enjoyed working hard at the game um, and studying it, and those two things would kind of serve – you know, as, uh, you know, a sense of stability moving forward when I'd go through, you know, something difficult, whether it was injury or a healthy scratch, um, you know, whether it was a trait, I always knew, you know, I could co- kind of go and do my thing at the rank. Um, and I love that. And, and, you know, if I've got younger brothers, you know, that both play and, you know, so you try and take uh, your cup of knowledge and, and help them and, and, and try and advise them in their careers, you know, and so, at that age, I can't preach enough. You know, the game is the greatest teacher. You know, you're not going to get a whole ton better from a from a hockey sense or, or skill standpoint um, watching the game from the bench. So, you know, that was something that at that time I bet on myself that I would be able to, you know, sort of win out. Um, generally, I, I did not. You know, uh really either of the two years, particularly the first year was tough. The second year, it got a little bit better um, in terms of ice time. But I mean, I, I did enjoy any, any sort of carrot I, I knew I really earned. And that's a cool thing too, as you come up through, I came, you know, to fast forward, I went to, to Hershey, right. For, for Washington. And Hershey was not like a plug and chug play the kids. Um, no, Hershey plays their veterans and they want to win. Yeah. So coming up as a younger player, that's not exactly the place that you want to go for your first stop. Is it (laughs) right? No, no. And, and I've heard decently well, um, you know, there, yeah, I really enjoyed my time there overall. Um, but certainly at that U S team, you know, that was, um, you know, it, it, it ended up in, in where I was drafted, you know, I was drafted in the fifth round of Washington and I was, 
I was decently, um, you know, bitter about that. Really excited to be drafted, and particularly by such a high-end organization. You know, Washington's been knocking on the door, it seems like, you know, the last decade or so. Um, but, yeah, the, the U.S. team, I think, has some really cool, bright spots about it. But you, I always think it comes down to circumstance with an individual player, um, with ice time kind of being the, the, the king. So Toph and I both agree <clears throat> with you have to play. You know, we'd rather younger kids be on teams where they're going to play more than, than not play. But for you playing at the program, and it sounds like maybe, you know, you didn't get as much ice time as you thought. What did you do? I mean, you, you play in the NHL. So you went from being a guy who's maybe a 5'6 D-man, and now you're in the NHL. Like, what, what happened? Did, did that force you to work harder? Did that force you to work on the mental side of, of disappointment and how to bounce back from that? Like, how did you go from really not playing to now you're in the show? So I, I kind of um, – so that was what I did as a, as a youth player. I always played for the Chicago Chill and the Chicago Fury, and generally we were, you know, kind of second fiddle to the Chicago Mission at the time, you know, produced like uh, Ryan Hartman, Vinny Anastroza, uh, Sam Piazza was a big name growing up, played at Michigan. Um, trying to think of who else, but they had quite a few guys go to division one off that, uh, off that club. I always stayed with the fury because in general, I thought our coach, uh, was Darren McCluskey and he was much more open to us, our defense group really being involved in the game, you know, and that was the way I played. And I, and I, and I, you know, always took that to heart growing up. And then what I was so intrigued by the U S team was it made it sound like a factory. Like this is just uh, a sports science lab that just creates freaks. And like when I, I always tell this joke that not a story, you know, when you watch Rocky, like everyone roots for Rocky. Well, what I watch, I always thought Ivan Drago was cool. <laughs> Cause like, I love the idea of just being this monster freak, you know, hooked up to all these things, just, tapping out, you know, the human potential from a, you know, skill standpoint, from a physical standpoint, whatever. So at, after that second year, I was committed to Michigan, which I was really excited about. I mean, I, I slept under Michigan, um, you know, covers all my life. Um, so it, it was a dream that I, I came up with, with childhood goalie of mine, uh, Chris Funky. We go over to his house and, you know, stream uh, the Michigan hockey team, you know, on, um, you know, on his laptop or whatever. And that was the dream. We we're going to go to Shattuck. We're going to go to the U S team and we're going to play for Michigan and then hopefully go to the NHL. And then, so Michigan had two senior captains in the year I was going and I was going in as a true freshman. And so, so I knew, you know, the, the, the message from the coaching staff was, you know, we're, we're really high on you. We really think you can help. So they had, trying to remember now, but they had two senior captains. John Merrill had had some injury issues and some off ice issues that kept him at school. He was supposed to be kind of like the one and done. He was a stud. Yeah, he was. Um, his freshman year at Michigan, he was a, he was a really high end talent. I remember going to watch him play because we were, you know, just down the road at the U S team. And, uh, so he ends up sticking around for his junior year. So that's a solid, you know, which would have been my, uh, freshman. That, that's a solid, um, you know, 30 minutes a night eating up right there. And then, Jacob Truba committed not long before it was probably the end of our U18 season. And I had, you know, kind of thought we were both down. It was rumored Notre Dame, Michigan. 
Um, I went to Michigan. He went to Michigan. I, I thought he was going to, I think it was Kitchener held his rights at the time. Um, so I was, I was pretty surprised that he ended up doing that. So all of a sudden I'm starting to look at the top four. I just, you know, totally was, became all too familiar with the ice time battle at the U S team and Plymouth had lost a bunch of, um, had lost, I think it was Bo Schmitz. I'm trying to think of who else, but they had like no right shot team at and nobody who, you know, could really quarterback a power play and, and carry the rock up the rink. So I ended up getting really excited by that because I was already admitted into Michigan. I knew, you know, I was already beginning like the sort of backpacking process where you pick your classes and that. Um, and I knew the OHL, you know, would pay for my schooling when, it, when I played uh, for the team. I was originally drafted to Guelph. I hadn't heard anything. So we facilitated over a trade over to, to Plymouth. And I did well at first, but, but sort of inconsistent the first half. And after the second half, you know, after kind of getting my feet wet in the league, it is a different style of play uh, than American Junior, the, at least then it was. Um, you know, the OHL was definitely more of a, of a pro-style game. And it was really high-end offensive talent, you know, so just the poise and puck play of the league was stronger, more of a cycle-grinding game, um, which, you know, I, I began to learn, and the second half tore it up. And then the playoffs uh, was really where I began to, I think, um, solidify myself as a guy who could knock on the door at the next level. How much did coaching, do you think, have uh, an effect on that in terms of, like, you know, somebody that you felt like believed in you, you know, cause you're playing at the national program, you know, and you're watching, you know, the Trubas and the Joneses and the Grizzlicks and those guys jumping over the boards all the time. Was there a little bit of a sense of you that was kind of like, I don't know if this guy believes in me. And then when you get to Plymouth and, you know, and you're going over the boards, you know, yeah, every other shift and all of a sudden you maybe get a little bit of belief from the coach. So you get a little belief in yourself. Do you think that there has anything to do with that as well? I mean, absolutely. The, the game is, is, you know, sort of the, the, the feeling um, that you generate as a player, you know, uh, all the really high times in my career, I know what that feels like. If I could, if I could bottle it and sell it, you know, uh, it'd be worth a lot to a lot of people. Um, I would say the U.S. team was probably the darkest. I was knocked down pretty solid there. Um, really wasn't from just a purely hockey development standpoint doing, I wasn't getting to where I wanted to. I used to do this thing at night, which was torturous, but I would look up, I'd watch the game and it'd be John Michael Lyles or Justin Falk or, you know, whomever else uh, played the net, Kevin Shattenkirk at the U.S. development team. And I'd sit through my laptop and I'd look their numbers up. And I knew what mine was, were. And, uh, you know, I started to think to myself, I'm like, you know, it, you, you can't be a bad junior player and go on and be a good NH. Like, that's just not the way the pyramid is, is taught to work. Um, so I went to Plymouth. I would say the biggest thing was there was a legitimate opportunity. And I always knew, like, I, I knew I was, I was right up there with um, some of those guys from a talent perspective. You know, I think I was the third or fourth player to officially sign to the national team. Um, so I was one of the guys that, you know, they had identified as, as being a strong player, and, and I believe I was. Um, and I think Plymouth was just 
with the amount of games that we played, I was able to accelerate that identity. I was able to regain it faster because we played so much. And the other thing I always thought the OHL did a really nice job of is they, they at least Plymouth, Mike Bellucci was our coach. He really took the concept of roles seriously and he groomed guys for that. You know, if, if you were supposed to be a net front, you know, tougher, uh, more of a blue collar player, he really demanded that of you. If you're the guy slinging the rock at the, on top of the power play and supposed to make all these plays and have to, uh, you know, supposed to have all this poise, like that's what he demanded of you. Um, and he, he would let players, at least in my experience, kind of work through their identity and come out on the other side. Um, and all of a sudden come playoff team, we had some really high end talent, but we had some guys playing really at the top of their game. Um, you know, at least for what we were, we were at the, at that age. Um, and I would say it was, it was kind of a cool, there was a moment at Christmas where I really began to, right before Christmas, I started to take off where, uh, you know, Mike Bellucci had kind of, I really liked to carry the puck, you know, and then probably hold on to it too long for, you know, if I was a pro scout watching my game. Um, but he, he kind of admitted that, he was all over me probably the two weeks prior. And he's like, you know, Connor, I, I really need you to settle down with the puck and, and kind of get back to that sense of calm and that sense of poise so you, so you can see the rink and make, you know, be a real hockey player. Um, you know, I'm going to back off you a bit. And there was a conversation I had about that. Um, and that was a little bit of the permission given. And then I, I, didn't, I didn't look back once I was given the leash. Well, that's really interesting because I feel like as a coach, sometimes just like little casual conversations where you check in with somebody and just give them a little, whether it's a pat on the back or, you know, a kick in the butt, like that, that communication from, you know, coach to player is so important. And, and Mike Vellucci, I mean, he's a rising, I don't want to say a rising star in the game, but the guy's going to coach in the NHL at some point, you know, his, his track record is, is incredible. And he's kind of one of the guys that people are talking about for head jobs right now. Um, what was so mm-hmm. good about him? Was it that communication factor? Was it the fact that, you know, you talked about the, the roles and how good he was at, at getting people to buy into those roles? What, what would you take out of learning from him in your time in Plymouth? Um, I, what, what I thought Mike's greatest tool was, was looking back on all my coaches. He wasn't someone that got in the way of like your decision-making, you know, he would, he would kind of correct, you know, if a guy was really getting squirrely with a puck and, and, and really was trying to do too much at blue lines, you know, he'd kind of, he'd, he'd crack the whip and he'd bring a guy back and, and, you know, kind of bring him back to her and say, that's not the way we play here. Um, but generally, he let the talent of his players come through. He he demanded a high compete level. Like he, that was just simply non-negotiable. He definitely bred um, a, a, a distaste for losing, a, a severe hate to lose. He was good at that. I felt. Um, and then generally, I think it was. You know, if he wanted to be upset on the bench, he, he would be, but it wasn't, he, he was pretty even keel, all things considered. Like his approach to the game, um, in game, his demeanor was, was pretty consistent. And, and then I think he was, he was a good motivator too. I think he would, he understood what, you know, made guys click. Um, you know, we had a, a, a pretty high performing team, pretty, 
you know, strong culture for a, for a junior group, a bunch of 16, 20 year old kids. Like we, we really got after it and there were some serious NHL dreams in that room. And he would talk to you. Like, you, you know, we had another discussion the one time about uh, being an NHL player. And he said, Connor, like right now you are a good OHL demon. Like you, you, you might even be a very good OHL defenseman, but the guy that projects well at the next level are outstanding at this level. And he, and I, I remember that. Like I remember, gosh, you'd see the pace that certain guys would score at or, you know, their plus minus or whatever, just how consistent they were able to, you know, defend top lines in the league. Like the OHL features some really, really high end talent and guys would just pull away. Like you, you think you had a good night, you'd have one and one and you check the, the statute of, you know, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and, you know, Ryan Sproul would have two and two, you know, and you're like, I, I thought I was going to have a chance to climb up tonight. Um, you know, the, the D scoring and that. So, you know, I think that he, at least, you know, we only had one year together. I was supposed to go back and that's, you know, we can talk about that. I was, I was, I ended up making Washington. I was really excited for that next year. We weren't going to be great. I was going to be more of a leadership role and, and, you know, kind of the way the OHL works, I was, I was probably going to end up getting moved at the deadline or something. Just had a, I had a guess, um, you know, but we only had the, the one year together and, you know, I really enjoyed working for him, uh, playing for him. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what happened? Did you kind of go to the Capitals training camp and just make the team right out of there? How did, how did you end up in the roster the next year? That's exactly it. So, so there was a cool discussion had, uh, Steve Richmond, who's actually um, a Chicago guy as well. His son, Danny Richmond. I, I know Steve was my coach in junior hockey, and Danny's one of my better friends growing up. So know, know the Richmond family very, very well. <laughs> yeah. So, Danny so, was a ride to so high school. It was cool. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it was pretty awesome because being in Plymouth, so this is another you know, thing that I considered, was their first-round pick was Tom Wilson. So I knew the Washington Capitals would be around. So I may have been the most heavily scouted fifth round pick in the whole NHL draft. <laughs> but anyway, so Steve was great. He, um, he really, he, so, so I ended up doing really well in the playoffs. I had a great plus minus. I had a bunch of points, but more importantly, like my game was strong and there was a sort of a telling series. We played the London Knights and we ended up losing. I think it was in uh, six games or five games, six, I can't remember now. Um, and they had some marquee defense and they had Ole Mata. They had, uh, Scott Harrington, um, Nikita Zadorov, or Zadorov. And, uh, you know, I was really able to hold my own against, you know, they had Max Domi up front, Paul Horvat, uh, Alex Broders is a great player in that league, Seth Griffith. And I'm trying to think of who else, but, uh, you know, we had, we had, a really strong series and, and Steve Richmond, you know, kind of let me know, Hey, I, I, your trajectory, um, has began to change. And then there was a conversation had at development camp. I came in, Adam Oates was the, was the head coach and, uh, was doing really well. The way our camp was structured was, it wasn't like a, a fluff development camp. We played two games a day and you know, it was game seven out there. Like guys oh, were, wow. guys were, playing for keeps and we so we played you know uh i think we played like one game the first day two after that and then one the last day in front of fans of that so 
Steve kind of let me know we were at the residence in there uh, in Boston near the practice rink, and he goes, you know, Connor, I, like you're, you're going to play in the NHL. And I, I mean, I just grinned like a like an absolute donkey, you know, ear to ear. <laughs> you know, it, you know, guy was Santa Claus at this point, and uh, uh, I'm thrilled. And, and he he kind of gives me this serious look, like no. When you come back for training camp, like you can play in the NHL now, and and you got to wrap your head around that. So I'm like, huh? So, you know, still really didn't um, click. I didn't even have a contract at the time. You know, I was I was a fifth round pick, just one year removed. Um, then I go to the U.S. Teams World Junior Camp, play some games there, and then I go to Plymouth Camp play some games there. So all of a sudden it's like day one and then we have the rookie camp. So it's the day one of the, the main training camp. And I've got like, I've got like 20 games in me. Um, so I'm just cooking from day one. I end up uh, really getting every chance under the sun, play a bunch of minutes. I mean, uh, top line. I remember the played against Drew in that preseason with Wayne Simmons. I can't remember who the other winger was played against, um, it was like Taze and Patrick Sharp, and they had another one of their higher end picks on the on the wing there. So like I was getting real opportunities, and then about a couple uh, conversation was was had that you know I, I'm starting to get in the running, and they're starting to dwindle numbers down at camp. And then there was a game going to Boston. I sign on the plane. Um, my mom flew out to Boston to see me play with my uncle just because it was like my first game with a contract. They were excited for me. End up scoring on the power play. Played like, I think I played 27 minutes that night. So I ended uh, preseason, I think I played like six games at like eight points. It was plus a couple and, and did really well. Goo. Um, nice set, Goo. Yeah, it was outstanding. It was the best preseason. Uh, it, was, it was really, really fun. And I had no idea really what I was doing. Um you know, for my career at the time. And sure enough, uh, ended up making the team out of training camp, kind of found out on Twitter when they waved another, another guy. Um, and I, I, I tell the story every chance I get Don Fisher was the assistant GM. And I think it's the coolest thing I have from my whole hockey career. It's a little printout. And what it is, it's a picture of like all the magnets you'd have in your coach's room. So you've got, you know, Ovechkin, uh, Backstrom, like you've got, you know, Beagle, Grabowski, whomever, right? You've got all the lines. Um, and then you've got my name down on the demons, uh, and, and it's written in because I didn't have a magnet. <laughs> and it was a, it was a text from general manager George McPhee to Don Fishman just asking about the salary cap you know, cause everyone's trying to get compliant. He goes, can we do this question mark? And so Don Fishman printed out that, that picture for me, uh, with the text message on it. And it's like literally the, the, the birth, the exact moment my NHL career began. Um, so I, I think that's, that's pretty sick. That's thing unreal. Oh, um, <laughs> I got chills talking about it. I think it's, a, it was when he gave that to me, um, you know, it really was, it really was, was special to, to, to have. And I'm always grateful he did. That's unreal, man. And we talk about it all the time on this podcast, like 
how important it is to treat people the right way. And here you are talking about an assistant general manager taking that picture and sending it to you. I mean, it's no wonder why the Washington Capitals are always a like one of the top teams in the league when you treat people like that. And even George McPhee, kind of the same way and what he's doing over in Vegas. Um, like, have you found, because you've played for a couple different organizations now, nope. um, you know, you've been around, been around the block. Like, have you found that the way that teams treat their players is a really, really important aspect of being, you know, a good hockey organization? I, I think so. I think players are aware of, you know, okay, for example, the Toronto Maple Leafs have a bigger budget, you know, awarded to their hockey club than um, the Dallas Stars. You know, so there's going to be differences in terms of, I don't know, meal or food or whatever. But how the people treat you is always, um, it's free. You can, you can treat someone well just because you decide to. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've always um, responded and maybe it's just the the new school versus old school, but you know I was all uh, always played best when there was a sense of respect demand for sure from the coaching staff. Like, but a, but a sense of respect for me and and my process and me as a person. Because I mean I I sleep well at night knowing I I genuinely give my best. Probably I really think every day of my career and I, and even since before it started, I've always been um, a hard worker. I really enjoy it. I enjoy being uh, a student of the game. And I think if you're any player that's even began to, to scratch the NHL surface, you know, there's a, there's a level of respect that that professional in person, you know, every player in the NHL is an outstanding hockey player. That's, that's really the case. I mean, even, even on down, um, you know, as players, like I, I have a lot of respect for the other guys that I go to, to bat against every night. And that's really what it comes down to with the coaching staff. Like um, at, at a bare minimum, you can be as demanding as you want. You can run your practices, your systems, your power play, your PK, however you, you, you decide. Um, but there has to be a respect, you know, uh, sort of for your, for your players. And if there is an issue going on, you know, whether uh, you got, I think you've got to provide the player with sort of a roadmap in terms of how to get back in, in your good graces as a coach. Like, uh, you know, whatever that may be, if it's a work ethic issue, if it's a, if it's a teammate issue, um, or simply, you know, a lot of times in the NHL, it's simply an execution issue. Um, so, you know, that, that to me is, is, you know, there's a lot of a lot of buzz around the word uh, culture, but I've definitely seen um, different places I've been. It, it, it is interesting how different operations run from one club to the next. You just kind of assume that they'd be more similar, and they're, they're simply not. Well, I thought it was something you just said is one of the most interesting things I've heard. Um, excuse my voice. I yell at kids all day. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I coached yesterday. I got a little bit of the same thing. I coached three hours at a shooting camp, and I feel like I got punched in the throat. But yeah, I know. it's motivating, uh, yeah. Jeff. You're motivating. motivating. Uh, yeah, I yell at the pros too, so motivate the pros too. But um, you know, something you just said is super interesting, and it's something I have literally never heard that uh, you you would like the coaches to give a, a roadmap how to get back into their good graces. 
And that sounds like such a simple idea. Like, you know, if, if I'm your coach and you know, I've been peepee slapping you up and down the ice all game or yep. whatever, and, and, and you're upset, you know, you know, I'm upset. Maybe you get a little bit nervous. It would be a good idea for a coach to be like, look, you, you know, I'm unhappy with you. This is what you need to do to get back on my good side. Like, and, and just say like right now, you, you know, your passes suck. You're, you're leading guys too far. You're putting in their skates, whatever, start making good passes and you'll play more. That's so much a better idea than just sitting a guy and not saying anything to him. Well, and I mean, it, it just, it, it sets the, the price of what a player can get, you know, um, you know, Barry Trotz used to say, you know, coaching in the NHL isn't about equality, inequality. You, know, you guys are all different. Everybody gets paid different. You all have different jobs, all have different skills. Um, it's about executing those well. And I, because as a player, I've been on that side where all of a sudden, you know, maybe my game's not great. I didn't start the season great or whatever. And all of a sudden you end up in this hole. And, you, you know, fun, momentum is a funny thing in pro hockey. Right, everyone talks about you know getting hot and staying hot, you know, and or or the a players slumping. Now he's starting to bounce around teams, and all of a sudden momentum can really make or break um, a career. And what that feels like as as a player is, you know, I've been in situations where I'll make a mistake, and now there's playing time repercussions, uh, you know, coming through. And you know, you, you you are aware of the hole you're in, and you start to consider. You're like. Of course, you're always trying to have a next shift mentality. That's first and foremost. But when you're when you're on the plane ride home or the bus home in the monitors, you think to yourself, "I might need to play ten perfect games before my ice time can jump up again, or that number might even be higher." Yeah. Like I honestly think I'm thirty games away of mistake-free hockey from getting out of this doghouse. Like, you know, I, I used to. Uh, I used to joke, um, you know, with my old man. I was like, man, I think I'm in the doghouse. I don't know if there's a lock on the door. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just think I'm in. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, certain coaches, everyone's got their own technique. Everyone kind of has an exposure to what works for them early in their coaches are like players. You know, you kind of find something, um, that works for you. You find a persona, a way that you interact with certain players. You find, players that you can win with, you know, you, you've won with uh, a certain sort of lineup before. And so you start to build that out moving forward. Um, I, I always just appreciate it as, as, as a player, when a coach was clear, clear about demanding. Um, it's not hard, you know, at, at the same time, I, I get it. We're all, we're all supposed to be men here and, and supposed to understand our, our jobs and roles and responsibilities as NHLers. Um, but that student and every player is still there, especially today. Like a lot of the players in the NHL are sort of like, um, you know, test tube hockey players. They're, they're created, you know, it's the story of, you know, my older brother played and I just kind of picked up the game is becoming more and more um, of a rarity. You know, you're finding a lot of players, you know, will say, uh, I grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona, I'm Austin Matthews, and this is what I did. And, this is how I made sure, or you'll, you'll get the kid in Toronto that made sure he bounced around to, to find the best coach. And I just think the, the hunger on average of the, of the current NHL player is so high and so strong to get there uh, that if, you know, we're, we're taskmasters. If you give a player sort of a sense of mission, 
Um, it gives them something to, you know, create as their true north uh, in their development moving forward. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, uh, that just makes in. that just makes total sense. I mean, everything you're saying, like, just tell people what you're thinking as the GMs, as the coaches, and then they'll go and do it. Like, it's uh, you know, when, when Tolf and I were both 85, so we got old balls and loose skin. Um, <laughs> but, Gross. But, gross it's his five-year plan don't die um but you know like coaches you know if it gets sad or whatever they'd yell at you but it wasn't like hey if you just like do these things in this situation that's all i need from you and i'm happy with you and you'll you'll play more coaches didn't do that back then uh, like it just makes sense as a person-to-person level to do that I don't know. I don't even know if coaches do a great job of that today. And I'm just sitting here kind of reflecting like Connor, as you're talking about, because we actually talked about this a couple episodes ago with wides and some of the Ottawa guys getting caught, you know, complaining about their coaches in, uh, in the taxi. Right. And we talked about how coaches do the same thing. You know, GMs do the same thing. They sit in their office or they yep. sit at, at dinner. And, you know, I probably would imagine that a lot of the times they're complaining about players. And I'm thinking back and reflecting about when I was in those coaches' rooms and having those conversations. And how many times did I say something complaining about a player that this person needs to be better and then not say it to that player? And that is bad as a coach. Like that feedback, whether it's positive or, you know, correcting a negative, that's really, really important. And Connor, you're kind of just validating that point that it's like, hey, I need to be told when I'm doing something wrong. I need to be told that I'm doing something right. It's got to be clear. It's got to be simple. It's got to be direct. But still, I want that feedback. And I, I agree. I think, I think players today need that feedback. And, uh, and so I challenge all the coaches out there listening to this right now, like how, you know, how good are you at your feedback? If you're going to complain to an assistant coach, you better say that to the player too, because he needs to hear it and he needs to get better. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally agree. And as a coach, you have an opportunity to kind of, uh, set the status quo, like what, which way is up and which way is down around here. Um, because, you know, as a coach, you know how you want to play always. Uh, you know what you value, hopefully. Um, you know, but other players come from different organizations or they're traded there or whatnot. And you know, the subtle differences in what coaches want. And the game is a, is a glorified game of keep away. At the end of the day, who, who can maintain possession in our team's end for a longer period of time? But how to do that? You know, uh, a lot of parts of different teams games in the NHL are similar. A lot of them are really different. And so sometimes here, I'll give you an example. So when I played in Hershey, um, we were not allowed as a, as a D group to exit the, the rank through the middle of the ice, unless it was just like beyond parting of the seas, you know, the, you're, you're, you're playing against a one man for checking out five guys back. Um, it was wow. generally a weak side, it was generally a weak side to think like old school LA or Boston, you know, keep it on the wall or just go to D to D and, and, and try and beat the four checks pace coming off the rank, um, to get it out and just get it in the neutral zone at all costs. So I get traded to Toronto and for years I'd make this, you know, I'd make a play to our center the center. Wouldn't totally expect the puck, you know, cause we shouldn't be going there, but I thought I was better than the system or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I ended up in his feet on the other team's skates and, and, you know, I'd get chewed, you know, for, uh, 
So I, that play is totally beat out of my game. Totally beat out of my game. Um, and then I go to Toronto, and like the number one thing I'm graded on is slips to the middle. And it's like I've gone years with that play being very taboo. Um, so all like you, you expect me to be able to sort of shed those those scars right away, overnight, you know. Um, as a player, of course, that's the job. Yeah, forget about it. You don't play for that guy anymore. How hard is it? Guys, open, move it to him. Uh, but at the same time, it 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 took some effort, you know. And and there's a lot of aspects in that game when I. Adam Oates is, is known as a huge backhand guy, right? Like he really embraces the backhand skill and, and demands that his players work on it and, you know, won't take it as an excuse for, for not executing a certain play. So I remember my first training camp at the U.S. team, where I come from, uh, at the time, the first development camp, we were absolutely not allowed for the puck tucker backhand. Really? Like I did. If the puck, if I was a right shot demon, the puck was in the left corner, I'd have to get my, my torso totally facing north and corral this puck on my forehand without it touching my backhand once. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Adam Holtz is asking me, you know, Hall of Famer is asking me to go pick this puck up, you know, and make this backhand play. It was, it was like I needed a Xanax to be able to do it. It was hard. It was a skill I hadn't used in years. You know, so sometimes um, as, as a as a coach, as players, I think we always appreciate as long as you define sort of, and of course you, a lot of coaches do it subconsciously. Like, you know, if, I, if I'm a high-risk skill guy and I keep turning pucks over and I'm not playing, but the guy who just plays north-south and, and hits his edges in front of the paint keeps playing, you know, it doesn't maybe need to be said that that's what you value. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that every player – you know, I think it's I think it's simply in the best interest of the coach um, to demand it. You know, uh, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what would you know make our team better, make you better, at least for me, because that's where we're at. You're playing for me right now. Yeah, and I, I mean, I love that term that you used. You know, give me a roadmap. I love that. Give me a roadmap to success. For your, for I'm the coach. You're the player. I should be giving you a roadmap of what I want you to do to be successful on my team, within our scope, within our systems, all that stuff. I mean, that, that's just a great term. And Toph challenged the coaches. I, I think you should challenge the coaches to make sure each cat, kid on your team or a guy, it doesn't even matter the level, make sure they all have a roadmap for what you want that will make them play more and be happy and successful on your team. Also, real quick, I just want to go back. I want to go back real quick because you talked about the, the uh, Chris Weidman thing. I saw Wides yesterday. I was in the gym with him and I trained his brother, Al. Chris is an unbelievable person. And what happened to him is just shitty. We all bag on our bosses or whoever, like Tof just talked about, bagging on kids on his team behind closed doors. I just want to say Chris is an unbelievable guy. Anyway, sorry, keep going. Boom, mic drop. No, you're good. Roasted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And my, my, I mean, my challenge for players is the same thing. You got to be able to identify when a coach's message um, maybe doesn't totally fit or work or, or kind of look at, you know, you, as a player, you're responsible for your own development too. You know, there was a situation uh, where I was playing in Toronto, you know, we were kind of a, a low to high, set it and forget it, uh, shoot the puck on arrival. Um that was kind of our, our coaching plan in order to create, you know, sort of that pinball effect and, and make things random for their team, right? 
Um, you know, I found that there were certain guys on our team that were really good at it. And then, you know, as the year went on, I just felt like I was, I was rushing more and more and more looks. And, you know, I was actually working with uh, Brian Keene at the time. I'm like, Brian, every time I even get up by the guy, it's nowhere near, um, you know, sort of the, the most dangerous player on the ice. Like, I'm watching the video after there's, there's sticks and people available. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we talked about was, listen, I understand where you're, where you're totally being coached right now, but it can't be, um, you got to be a hockey player. You can't be married to any one play. And we kind of backed out and looked at some of my offensive blue line play and, and did introduce some plan that, that was sort of in the face of what the coaching staff exactly wanted. I ended up getting a lot more pucks through. It was, it was a little bit more natural to a skill I had, which was I've always been good at kind of identifying that triangle and, and that shoulder shimmy to, to get the puck through, um, you know, with a good wrister at the right height for a good tip. Um, and that was something that we discussed. And all of a sudden, the, you know, Connor, make sure you shoot the puck on arrival. Connor, make sure you're uh, getting your, your, your pucks through. Connor, how'd you miss that guy at the net front? It all kind of went away. You know, so sometimes as a player, like coaches do, you know, season, they're, they're, they're coaching every other night. You know, they're, they're not always totally exactly sure why they're doing things. It's a fast paced game out there. They're going with their gut or whatever. Um, and you, you have a responsibility as a player to do that too. It's what's best for your team and it's, and it's what's best for your career a lot of times. So let me, let me ask you this on the other side of things. Um, how comfortable were you in going in and talking to the coaches about things when, you know, things weren't working or you maybe had a disagreement on a way that you wanted to do something like, did you, you know, did you ever go in and challenge the coaches? Um, do other guys, you know, at your level go in and challenge the coaches because sitting here as a coach, you know, I would love that, you know, I would welcome, you know, an opportunity for one of the players to come in and, and talk hockey with me and challenge me and, and understand that as a coach, like you said, I'm not always right. <laughs> you know, I, we, well, the, we, problem, the problem is, the problem is usually, usually when that occurs, there's some sort of emotional baggage that you're, that the meeting begins with. Sure. It's not like, you know, the power play went two for three last night. Um, you know, and you're just like, Hey coach, uh, did you see that play last night? I know you've been, you've been preaching that week's had one timer, but I did score on the, the, you know, curl and drag shot through the defender, strong side defender stick in the short side. I think we do that more often. Like generally it's when the power play goes over 10 and he's like, you know, uh, superstar number one walks in and says, for the love of God, we're not running that play any longer. Like our power play sucks. You know, and the coach is like, I want a cup in 2009 with it. You know, no way, <laughs> whatever. You know, I'm just, um, so if, if you can have a, a, a true, just, you know, uh, sort of like a hockey nerd conversation, this is what I think, this is what you think and, and trying to arrive at a better, conclusion for the the talent that you have on your team like yeah that's that's the 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 purest form of of what hockey you know player coach relationship should be um in my career i've been both overly aggressive and overly passive in in march in the coach's office sometimes it's gone really well sometimes it hasn't um but in general i the nhl is a results business it's it's 
coaches want guys that um, play in terms of what they value. And the conversation is not always going to, uh, you know, I, I don't, I think it accomplishes oftentimes less than what you think. Now that said, you know, I've had it where I've seen guys where coach thinks the guy's too light or, or passive and he really jams the coach and gives it back to him, uh, serves the player really well. I've seen it where, you know, player um, coaches all over him, you know, climbing all over him and, uh, you know, player just kind of handles it, weathers a storm, doesn't say a word and, you know, that sort of poise ends up serving him really well. So I think like anything, you make a read on the coach and you, and you, and you try and read the person and, and understand what might best serve you. And then I also, you know, there are situations where sometimes it, it, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a poor fit, you know, and, and, you know, as a, as, a, as an NHL or there's been a couple of times where, you know, you know, you're doing well, or, you know, you're on your way to getting traded and, you know, you can, you can go talk to coach or not. It may or may not matter. Um, but if on your way out, you want to say something, go for it. You know, I've seen guys do that too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of a freebie at that point. <laughs> when I, when, when Boston traded me, Don Sweeney called me and after the trade, he's like, well, if there's anything you want to say, you know, you're not with us anymore. You can cuss me out. You can say whatever you want right now. And I was like, what? Do people do that? I was like, no, <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And for sticking with me after my injuries and stuff, like who would, I can't believe that he like asked if I wanted to cuss him out. That's unreal. It was well, pretty funny. Well, Connor, let me, well, let me, let me pose a question to you guys because, uh, I recently just, uh, watched an interview that, uh, Kobe Bryant did and he was talking about, um, when he ended up playing for Phil Jackson for the first time. And Phil Jackson had this guru coach Tex winner um, that kind of was a huge piece of his coaching staff. And Kobe Bryant actually said that one of the reasons why he became so good and such a student of the game and had all this great basketball sense was he would actually watch games from start to finish. So he wouldn't watch like his individual clips. He would actually watch the game from start to finish and be able to kind of like see trends and see, um, you know, the way that the game was being played as a whole. And I thought that was really, really interesting because when I first got into coaching, I learned so much by doing that as well. And Connor, just in talking to Kaner, you know, him and I are pretty tight and do a lot of stuff together. And it sounds like, you know, from talking to him that you're a real student of the game. Um, And Jeff always kind of talks about how he wishes he would have watched more hockey growing up. Um, and I'm sitting here thinking of as a coach, like I learned a ton by, you know, watching the game from start to finish, which I never really did when I was in college. It was always kind of like watching your individual clips. So how much validity do you guys think there is to that? And Connor, is that a piece of kind of what you do? Do you love watching hockey from start to finish as a student of the game? Um, I do. So it's always been, you know, sort of sobering for me as a, as a player is, is sometimes watching other games um, because other teams play other systems. They value different things. Uh, every player's kind of, kind of, kind of got, you know, well, let, let's call them uh, three. You know, there's there's a couple different options, right? Like there's the player that's uh, definitely above you. You know that yeah, man. I'd really um, sort of sort of the stars of the game, the guys that 
you grew up watching that you, you really like to play with. You can learn a lot from watching them. And those are guys you always key in on naturally, I think. And then there's a, kind of the group of players um, that are, are similar to you, uh, you know, similarly skilled, you know, and, and you can learn a lot from them. And then I also think there's always the guys that are, you know, maybe at least to the naked eye, less skilled than you, but really outperform their, their toolbox uh, or, or, or their skill set, you know, based on just sort of their, uh, you know, whether they're veteran uh, players in the game and, and they just kind of only in and out or, you know, whatever. Um, those are sort of the scenarios in which I am able to, you know, pull the most from it. And I just think it's, it really can calm me down out of, you know, say a coach did, because I made this mistake before, say a coach did tell me something to work on. And then it, it's kind of the all-consuming thing you focus on in, in your pregame, you know, shift to shift. And other parts of your game can kind of uh, start to fall apart. So, you know, in general, I'll kind of go through ebbs and flow uh, throughout the season. Sometimes I'll, I'll watch, like, just my puck touches. Sometimes I'll watch just my shifts. And then, you know, I always try to make room to still be a fan of the game and watch, you know, some of my favorite players, um, you know, around the league. And then, uh, yeah, I, I would say, I would say once a week, once, once a week, I try to watch a full game, start to finish like a fan, you know, where I'm able to, um, you know, really, really get a, get a sense of, you know, you can talk about, for example, say say a coach is all over about going D D right up, you know, and then you watch you watch Dowdy. Dowdy's kind of the king of like, you know, look up the right thing he's gonna do it, back off and he slings one up the middle. It's like, you know, would your coach like that play? Probably. You know? At some point you just gotta go out there and try to be good. So who you said that you like watching your favorite players. Who are your favorite players? I mean I I really like Dowdy. I just think his um sort of ability to play at his pace is all world. I really like watching um, Eric Carlson. I think his, his skating is, is world-class and what always drew me to him. Um, but I think his really his ability to break the team out is, is something that doesn't get talked about enough. He's just able to direct his team towards the offensive zone so much. Um, you know, I was able to kind of pay attention a little bit more this year to the West Coast teams, um, and, and and I watched more playoff hockey this year. But let's to to bring the point full circle. I've also, you know, I, I had a coach once tell me, you know, Connor, I go home to don't even think about hockey, don't even watch, don't watch, don't don't watch your shifts, don't watch any other games, just just go think about something else. You know, I wasn't I wasn't playing real great at this time. And for me, I, I felt like it was a, it was a pretty good little attack on my personality as a player and my game, uh, certainly suffered. It did not get any better by ignoring the game and pretending that it would just fix itself. Maybe that's just my sort of, you know, inner gears and then how I'm, how I'm strung together. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, Brent Burns is a, is a monster to watch. He just plays. He, he's frustrating because at six five, he plays a game at just dimensions and angles that you know I don't play at. Um, trying to think of who else I really like. I know I named like half of San Jose's uh, <laughs> line. It sounds like, but, but <laughs> okay. um, you know, I, I I generally 
there's not a lot of players in the league that I can't learn from because the what you learn as you get older. I think growing up, you're always trying to emulate. You're always trying to be like this guy. And I'm at a point in my career now where it's a little bit like, of course, I'm trying to add to my game, but there's got to be a real conversation had, you know, between like me and me and Brian Keane, for example, um, about what is it you've always done well, and and how can we continue to make that a staple. Um, and that's what I think is so cool about the NHL. There's so many players that do it their way and they figure out uh, how to make that successful, you know? Well, that's an interesting, Um, that's an interesting thing that you say because, um, you know, and Jeff has talked about this all the time, like finding a way to be yourself in a team structure, right? Like finding a way to do what you do best, within what your team is trying to do. And if you found at times that's been, that's been pretty tough. Like how do you kind of navigate that when, you know, even like you said, sometimes it, it's not necessarily jiving with kind of what the coach is trying to ask you to do. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I think there's just a realistic, you know, sort of inner conversation as a player is, is do I realistically think um, this, particular coach is willing to see me in a different light. Like if I try to give them what they want, um, or at this point where I just try to, uh, test the market, present exactly what I am and wait until I land somewhere where they really value it. That's a con- that that's something a lot of NHL players go through trying to, to sort that out. Um, you know, and particularly I find as a defenseman, that's where I think there's the greatest, uh, variability in terms of how coaches want B men to play. I think forwards kind of sort themselves out, especially, you know, today it's like generally all the forwards in the game are becoming more and more skilled. There's less sort of clear cut, you know, North South grinders in the game. Um, definitely less, you know, big uh, third, fourth line sort of physicality where, where, you know, pure, uh, you know, wall plays kind of their, their bread and butter. So I think the forwards, it's always, and they play in the middle of the rank. It's always going to be a sense of you know, the best players, the best players. You gotta, you gotta execute and, and identify obstacles at high level. But I mean, a lot of coaches want their demon, to, you know, stick their feet to the blue line and stay there. You know, some teams are doing the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, high, high D role. And so that's something I definitely, um, navigated my own career. And I would say, I would say 90% of guys that up finding, uh, having to sort of make that, that decision at some point. Yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. And, uh, you know, for you, was there, you know, any kind of coach that really you think got the most out of you and the most out of your ability? And, you know, if you can kind of tell us who you think that coach is and, and what it was that kind of made you get the most out of you. When I was younger, I thought Mike Bellucci did a great job. I thought there was a moment where, you know, probably with a seed of doubt, it it, it grown to its, its largest extent. He was able to sort of just give a little quick, um, you know, boost to, you know, reinforce the, the belief in my ability to have success at the OHL level. 
Um, I really enjoyed playing for Sheldon Keith with the Toronto Marley run. That was probably some of the best hockey I played, pro hockey. Um, he put me on the ice. We played a really um, creative style. He's one of the only coaches I ever played for that he understood the best way to have sustained offense is to event. You've got to put pucks in people in open ice. And he was really good at architecting that. And then in the ozone, he would do this thing where we would, we would practice changing off the cycle and you'd include your D, your D man. You could, you know, go uh, low to high D to D back down and a guy would go change. And eventually we would hem teams in uh, with fresh players on the, on the, on the ice consistently. And that led to oftentimes great cycle play. Um, but then some really high end rush play as well. So I, I, I just thought Sheldon Keith, we, we, had a, we had a really strong team. I thought we fell short that year. Uh, we had some issues, you know, um, uh, that I think lost the series to the Hershey bears. And then I would say I really enjoyed it was, it was just the last five, six weeks of the season, but I did really enjoy playing for John Hines. I thought, um, he's, he can be abrasive. Uh, he can be challenging, but it was always from a place of like, man to man, I know you're better than that. Um, and if you're not better than that, you got to find a way because this is the NHL and this is the New Jersey Devils and we demand that it is better. Um, there was, there was, he wasn't condescending. I, I just felt like his message was very, you want to talk about a guy that was clear, uh, concise and compelling with his message. I thought, you know, John Hines did a really nice job of it. And, um, you know, my deal is up, but I was, I was definitely hoping, you know, I'm restricted. I was definitely hoping to, to end up back there. Um, next year to knock on the door as best I can, uh, you know, move up the lineup. So that th- th- those would be probably the three. If I had to give you, if I had to give you three, the three best that I've really enjoyed. That's really cool, man. Yeah, I've heard unreal things about Heinz from from multiple different people. Just exactly what you said, like tough but fair and clear, and um, that's really cool. Well, well, we've had you on here for over an hour now, and this has been really, really awesome conversation. <laughs> um, hockey, yeah, right. All night. Yeah, that's funny. Like usually we talk to the people beforehand, and we end up, hey, we're going to ask you about a little bit of your journey, and then we're just going to end up talking hockey, and that's exactly what happened today. But it was awesome getting your input from you know, an NHLer's point of view on a lot of really interesting topics. But before we let you go, I do want to ask you one more question. And that is, you know, you're a defenseman playing in the NHL right now. We do have a lot of kids um, and a lot of youth coaches that listen to this podcast as well. And, uh, you know, if there were any one or two things that you think defensemen should get really, really good at um, if they want to get to the next level, um, what would you say those are and maybe what do you do to work on them? I think right now, uh, like escapability is so important. You, you've got to be able to, um, as a player, it, it should be a given that, you know, see the option and open, uh, execute the puck play to, to make it. Uh, but the more times you can get yourself that open look where your, your feet are moving and you're, and you're, you're advancing past four checkers and then you're able to create two on ones up the rank. I just think that that escapability is going to let you break out the ability to break out uh, your team and, and, and be on your way to go play off is so, so important. Um, and then I would say you, you just can't, I don't want you, I don't want young coaches and players to be too structured with, you know, coaching to position because I, 
I mean, there's a chance there. I think that the NHL game eventually gets to basketball where there's just five players out there. And uh, it's just uh, a game of like monsters out there because I think teams with that skill that fast. What a reference uh, you just, just made my, right there. Monsters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. From yeah. The, from the, but, uh, you know, I, I do think the game's getting that skill. So I, I would say escape ability, just the ability to get away from people and create your own time and space time and time again. So you can, you can find the best play available. I think, um, you know, defense is always going to be a, a, an important part of the game. So I, I think those, that ability to gap up and sort of the defensive skiing techniques that is where it's learning to, you know, skate forward and become a part of the rush and, and, and be able to eliminate time and space and options that way. Or if it's, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, some people use like the forward skating kickback to get back to, skating backwards or sort of the old um i skated with barry karn growing up the barry karn sort of defensive shuffle or not crossing over i just think any of those ability to uh know where you are in, in space that so that you can you can defend the rush is really important um and then if i had to give a third one i would say it's related to the first one but i just think the sense of poise at the game is coming back. I think there was a, a part of hockey, you know, probably when, when, uh, you know, Jeff was still playing where they just let these guys do whatever they want out there. Yeah, that was and me. I think the game got, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. And then, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then the game got really, really north, south, really coached. Um, you know, like non-negotiable. You had 50% of your lineup, you know, the top six forwards, maybe your top three D-men would make plays and everyone else was just, plug and chug, get the puck below the goal line. Uh, but I think this, this next tier is going to be a little bit of a blend uh, where coaches have their systems. They, they have the way guys want to play, um, but guys' ability to be deceptive and, and create uh, odds in their favor is just so strong that you got to let guys do that. Um, you know, so I just, I just think that that, that skill is, is becoming more and more prominent. Yeah. Hundred percent. I I love the I love that you said the word poise. Like I feel like with everybody, like everybody talks about playing fast and playing fast and playing fast. And there's certainly a tactic. Well, there's certainly a tactic and a time and a place for playing fast. But you know, yeah, but just all the time. Yeah, like coaching at the youth level this year, I coached a midget team, and it's just like if I had to hear playing fast one more time, like I was like. No, like if you want to well, get to I, the next level, you have to have poise. Like the people at the highest levels, they're talking, they're not necessarily so much talking about playing fast all the time, but it's like have poise, bring a guy to you, bring a defender to you, get to you, get to you, get to you, then you give it and then you go and then you play fast, right? So I, I, I love this. I love the fact I, that you said poise. Well, I, I mean, I had it in my career. I, I'd say it was one of the biggest issues I'd had for some time. I, I had a coach that was you know, pretty much every rep of practice I had for like two years, um, the word sprint was said while I was gone. So it got to a point where I'd go back on a, on a breakout puck and I'd touch their first and I would have no idea where anybody was. <laughs> I had, it, no clue where I wanted to go next. It was like, I won the race to nowhere. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just think as a, as a player, the best players have, different motors you know patrick kane plays both fast and slow mitch marner plays both fast and slow and you've got to practice both and they're 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 so important you know um to be able to you know manage the different obstacles in a game and and 
I, I, I get the speed aspect, but um, at the same time, you know, having the poise to be able to send that puck so it lands clean on the guy's tape, that's playing fast. You know, if you, if you kind of spit that puck as a grenade, you know, because you don't settle it in time, um, it, at the expense of playing fast, you put it in the guy's feet, well, you know, watch a team do break out and put five pucks in the feet. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take forever to get up the rank. So, in my opinion, the you know the best way to 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 play fast is through poise. Love that. Love that. Very Buddha of you. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, Connor, thanks so much for taking some time out of your night Thank to you guys. Uh, to, yeah to chat with us and uh, a lot of really good stuff here. So, uh, wish you the best of luck moving forward, man. Uh, can't wait to watch you playing next year, showing some poise out there and, uh, make it better now. Now I put it out there (laughs) (laughs) for sure. And, uh, always appreciate a Chicago boy coming on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, thanks man. Appreciate it.